Man, it's been a rainy summer, has it not? I mean, I don't remember uh, an August 5th when the grass was quite so green and the trees were, were so vibrant and the, the lawn mowing uh, crew has not gotten much of a break this summer. And, um, and man, that's a, that's a good thing. It's God's blessing of water. I saw on the news last night, though, that uh, they're having this thing called Music Fest up in Bethlehem, and, and they had set up for it, and all the vendors were set up with, like, selling all their T-shirts and food and everything, and, and little by little yesterday, the water just kept rising and rising and rising until on the news they were showing a bunch of dejected-looking vendors, like, standing on a hill looking at their stuff just, like, washing away, and they had, they had no power over it. Um, we, have, we have something of the sense of, of the power of water. If you've ever gone down, to the, down the shore after a hurricane and you see the way that the, 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 the wind and the water just move the sand, they completely erode and deteriorate things. Or, or we have a picture here just a little while back, Hurricane Harvey went through Houston, Texas. And you guys remember this, the entire downtown was flooded in, in four days. They got 51 inches of rain. It was 60 trillion gallons of water in four days and um, it, it, it was it was incredible we've seen this with tsunamis we've seen the incredible effects and power of water and what we're going to look at today is the the biblical account of Noah and the, and the biblical flood and what what I want you to wrap your mind around is there's a temptation to kind of say yeah we know floods we've seen flooding we we understand the power of flooding but um, but the flood that's described in the Bible is, is of a different class and category than anything that we've ever seen or experienced. We can have little glimpses and hints of it, uh, but this is an extinction-level event, literally, right? Like, at one point, the water was, was 15 cubits above any mountain. I don't know what a cubit is, right? But I know that <laughs> that's pretty big, right? It's about a yard, right? So, um, so uh, uh, water that, you know, is like 16, 17, 18,000 feet above sea level, right? And so, so this event transformed the nature and the character of our world. And there's all kinds of interesting theories. And if you want to go on a, on a lengthy sidetrack excursion, you can read books about uh, theories about the flood and what happened and how that affected our geology today and, and, and all these things. And, and whether there was a firmament made of ice or whether there was an eruption from under the earth that shot uh, hot water up into the you know there's so many ways that um, that creation scientists look at it and say like okay how can we what what do you think this actually happened what um, but we're not going to worry about that today right so <laughs> set that aside for for another another course of study what we want to look at today is the spiritual implications of the flood and and the whole the whole idea of this series is the gospel in Genesis and where do we see the gospel proclaimed throughout the entire Old Testament and specifically in the book of Genesis. And I think that what you're going to see along with me today is that the account of the flood and the account of Noah is one of the clearest gospel pictures that we see in all of Scripture. It's all laid out for us uh, there. There's, uh, there's elements that we talk about when we talk about the gospel, and, and this framework uh, comes from a book uh, that we have down in the resource room called What is the Gospel? And in that, in that book, they describe the gospel in these terms. They say that whenever we talk about the gospel, to talk about it completely, we have to talk about God. Who is God? What is God like? We have to talk about man. What, what is mankind? What, what, is our, what is humanity? What is our characteristics? We have to talk about Jesus. <laughs> what, who is he? What has he done? We have to talk about our response, and we have to talk about kingdom. And so that's how we're going to look at the account of the flood today through those lenses, right? God, man, Jesus, response, and kingdom to better understand the gospel in a more full and pure way uh, by digging into this account in Genesis. I'm excited about it. I hope you guys are excited about it. 
I think I've got enough voice left for, for 30 minutes of, of preaching here. So, um, so let's pray and we'll, and we'll dive into the passage. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for bringing us here this morning, God. Thank you for giving us this place to gather and to meet uh, as, we, as we prayed already this morning, God, that we want you to make new wine out of us, Lord. And sometimes that requires pressing and that requires trial and that requires struggle, Lord. But we come willingly this morning uh, to do the hard work of engaging with your word and to, um, to actively pursue you this morning, not just waiting for something to happen to us, but actually looking and longing and searching for you in your word this morning. And I know that as we do that, you've promised that you will reveal yourself to us. And so I pray that you would do that in each of our hearts this morning, that we would come in ready to receive what you have for us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, um, the account of, of the flood in Noah is lengthy. It, it really begins in chapter 5 with the genealogy, which I'm not going to read through right now here together with you. And then as we move into chapter 6, it begins to lay the groundwork for the flood, and it continues all the way through chapter 9. So we're just going to read a segment out of the middle here to kind of set the stage for us. We're going to pick up in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, it said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. And finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with the lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. As we continue into chapter 7, we jump down uh, to to verse verse 6, picking up the account. It says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, 
all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. The windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, and the birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So we have this, this, this picture, right, of, of this flood, something that, that they had never seen before. And God warns Noah, and he says, I'm going to bring this flood, but I'm going to save you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so you and your wives and your children and, and, and their wives can come into the ark along with the livestock, but everything else is going to die. And so the rain rained for 40 days. We talked about in Houston, it rained for four days, 51 inches, right? And this, is, uh, this is 10 times an innumerably, innumerable, I can say it, innumerably more water than that, right? It rained for 40 days. They remained five months until the water began to dissipate, and they were actually in the ark for a year before they came out, right? This was an endurance challenge. <laughs> this, was, this, was, this was salvation, but there was probably moments in there where they were like, man, <laughs> am I glad that I was saved in this smelly ark with these people that I'm tired of being in here with in this darkness, and, and God, are we ever going to get out? And yet they remained, and they were faithful. And so what I want us to look at is these, these elements of the gospel, right? God, man, Jesus, response, and kingdom. And so first, what do we learn about God? And we learn a lot about God in this passage. First, we see that God is grieved by man's sin. That the sin of the earth grieved God's heart. Um, that, that this conception of God being distant and not caring what happens and not, not, not worrying about it. When, when you are sinned against, if someone has betrayed you, if someone has hurt you, if someone has, has wounded you, I want you to know that God's heart grieves over that. That sin grieves the heart of our God. He cares. He cares deeply about those things. And he also cares deeply about when we sin against him. It grieves his heart. God is the righteous judge. And so, so we see in this passage that, that he has the right to judge. He's the only one who's perfect and holy. And, and he knows and sees all things. And he rightly looked at the earth and said, it is all wicked. All of, all of mankind has turned aside their hearts from me. And, and if I just let them keep going, it's just going to get worse and worse. And so because of that, I'm right to execute judgment. He has the right and the place to do that. And yet, we see that God was gracious and merciful. Look at what it says in chapter 6, verse 8. It says that in the midst of all this wickedness, in the midst of all this sin, verse 8 says, but Noah found favor 
in the eyes of the Lord. The, the word that's translated favor there uh, also can be translated as grace, that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, that he had God's favor, that God looked at him and he chose to bless him, that God was merciful. God would have been fully within his rights to say, it's all a mess. He could crumple it up and throw it in the trash can and be like, you know what? I'm just going to start <laughs> completely over. But if you remember, he had made a promise back in, in the garden. When, when Adam and Eve left the garden, he said uh, that Eve would have a son who would crush the serpent's head. And so if God had destroyed all of humankind, he wouldn't have been faithful in fulfilling his promise. And so to keep a remnant, to keep the possibility of fulfilling that promise, he chose Noah, and he chose his family. He was gracious, and he was merciful. Not only that, but, but God is personal. He is knowable. He is present. And he is involved in the lives here, right? And we see just a little bit earlier, if you look back in Genesis chapter 5, there's this long genealogy tracing from Adam to Seth all the way down to Noah. And what we see is uh, Noah's great-grandfather was a guy named Enoch. And here's what it says about him in, in chapter 5, verse 21. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We see in the midst of all the sin and this brokenness and this, uh, this, this wretched world that, that there was one man, Enoch, who walked so closely with God, who knew him personally, who, who, who was so loved by God that God did not uh, have him die. He instead took him up to heaven to be with him. In the same way that he took Elijah up to heaven to be with him. This is, this is an incredibly rare and special thing uh, that, that God did for Enoch. And so, uh, so if your conception of God is that God is this distant, impersonal being who kind of set the world in motion, that he's some sort of cosmic force like the force in Star Wars, that if, if you think that God is, is just, uh, just out there somewhere but doesn't care about what's happening to you, the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that God loves you that he's gracious and merciful. He is right to judge the sin that's in all of our lives, but, but he's also knowable, that we can choose to walk with him. We can choose to know this God who created us. He's concerned with his people. He cares and provides for them. Look at Noah. He said to Noah, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you the plans on how to build the ark. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it so that you can survive. I'm going to provide for you. And when, when, when the waters dried and the bird brought the olive branch to Noah, he saw that God had, had allowed the earth once again to be inhabitable. And so, so God cared and he provided for the needs of Noah and his family. And ultimately, God is faithful. As I already mentioned, he kept his promise that he had made to Adam and Eve about the, the, the line of Eve ultimately producing an heir who would crush the head of the serpent. Isaiah talks about his faithfulness in this way. In Isaiah 54, verse 9, he says, This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And so at the end of all this, God gives them this covenant sign of the rainbow, right? As, as this promise and says, I will never destroy the entire world by flood again. And God has kept that promise to this very day, right? There have been floods. There have been floods that have, that have cost people their lives. But there has never been a worldwide extinction level event flood to wipe out 
the earth. God is faithful and he keeps his promises. So for my first question for you today is, is this the picture that you have of God? When you think about God, when you think about God's nature and who God is, is it the same picture that the Bible presents? Yes, he is a judge. He's a righteous judge. And he does call us to account for our actions, but he's also merciful and gracious and loving and caring. He provides. He's not distant. He's close and he can be known and he can be walked with. Second, we look at man, mankind, humanity. What, what, what can we learn about humanity in this? Well, we learn a number of things. One, he re- reiterates that, that man is made in God's own image. After Noah comes out of the ark, God makes a covenant with him. And so over in chapter 9, in verse 6, he gives them instruction. And he basically says, hey, you remember Cain's relative uh, who said, hey, I killed a guy just for wounding me. He wounded me and I killed him. My, my vengeance is 70 times 7 on anyone that would oppose me. God says, that's not the way that it should be. Human life is valuable, and if you take a life, you're accountable for that life. And so in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. We are made in the image of God. Every life has worth and value. Every person. We care for, for those that are, uh, that's why God has such a, a care for those that are on the margins, that are, uh, that, that are the widows and the orphans and those that are, that are vulnerable in society. He cares for the refugees. He cares for, uh, Trina and I were, were driving in our, in our thing, and um, what did that bumper sticker say? It's, it basically said, <laughs> love everyone, no exceptions, right? And, um, and I was like, I agree with that, <laughs> but... <laughs> What do they mean by that? Do they mean love everyone, no exceptions within these categories that I've established? Does that mean that we should love the person who's oppressed as well as loving the oppressor? I mean, that'll really stretch you if you start to think about the worth and the value of every human life. That the person that you view as your enemy, Jesus told us to love our enemies. Uh, so the fact that we're made in the image of God is why we care for the unborn, right? That, that when a human being is created, whether they're born or they're not yet born, they have value because they're made in the image of God. That's why we care for the, the, the elderly and the infirm. That's why we care for the refugees. We care for all people because we're made in God's image. Mankind is capable of walking with and pleasing God. We looked at this with Enoch. We look at this with Noah, right? He found favor in God's eyes. You can walk with God in a way where you can know him. You can daily experience his presence and his comfort and his aid. Have you experienced this? Is God like a a theoretical object to you, something to be studied and thought about, or is, is God someone that you can know? What we see in Scripture is that we, as humans, have the capacity to walk with God. In our lives, are you, are you living in that sort of way? But the other thing that we see is that man's heart is prone to evil, to sin, to depravity. There's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting paragraph at the beginning of chapter 6 where it talks about the sons of, of God came and took wives from the daughters of men and that, that out of this came the mighty men of old and, and it says that they saw that they were good and they took them. And so commentators are really kind of tied in knots over this. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to make of it. Some say that it's, it's the holy line of Seth was intermarrying with the unholy line of Cain and that, that they should have known better and they shouldn't have been doing that. Others look at it in a more plain fashion. And everywhere else where we see the sons of God, it's, it's talking about angelic beings. So they're saying essentially there's these, these fallen angels, these demons that were actually marrying 
earthly women and producing children. It's a crazy paragraph, right? What does it mean? We don't know, <laughs> right? Some things we have to look at and we just got to be like, I don't know exactly, but, but what I see here is a pattern, the same pattern we saw in the garden, right? They saw that it was good and they took. Same way, Eve saw the apple, she saw that it was good to eat, and she took. And that's where we get into trouble. When we see with our eyes something and our heart desires it, and instead of saying, wait, is this what God wants for me or not? We just follow the desire of our heart and we take whatever we want. It's the root of sin. The, 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 this world will tell us, follow your heart. Do whatever your heart tells you. Can I tell you, I don't think there's any worse advice <laughs> than to follow your heart. Our heart is deceptive, right? My heart wants all kinds of things that are not good for me. It's better to train your heart to know and to follow the Lord. Train your heart to love what God loves, right? We, we, we wrestle for control with our heart. We don't just follow our heart. The greatest good for you is not just whatever your heart desires. And that's what was happening. Whatever people wanted, they just did it. And God said, we can't continue. This is just going to keep spiraling. Even Noah, after he came out of the ark and he planted a vineyard, he ended up getting drunk, and he was at, ended up passed out in his tent naked, right? And his son comes in, and instead of covering his father and, and, and covering for his shame, he went and got his brother and said, hey, you got to come see dad. He's passed out drunk in the tent, right? He exposed his shame, and it was sin. It's these little sins. You think like, hey, before the flood, people were killing each other. They were doing all these wicked things. Like, that's just a little sin, right? That's not that big of a deal. Well, little sin leads to bigger sin, leads to bigger sin, leads to bigger sin. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in people around me. Haven't you seen this? You say, how did somebody end up at the point where they did that? Well, look way back here. They made one little choice to do what they wanted instead of what God wanted. And that opened the door to make more and more choices to the point where they get to the point where they just don't care what God wants anymore and they just do what they want. I fought these own things. You know, in my own life, I've experienced that, that battle. Like a little bit of sin leads to a little bit more sin. It, it opens the doorway, and so you have to slam the door hard on it. We also see that man, from Genesis 5, that, that, that genealogy shows us that man is appointed a time on the earth. For, for in those genealogies, some of those people lived seven, eight, nine hundred years. Before the flood, there was something different going on where people lived for these really, really long times. And, uh, and, and yet, each one of them, they had children, and then ultimately they died. For each one of us as humans, there's an appointed time of our death. And so we can look at the flood and say, man, that was really harsh. God just wiped everyone out. Well, the reality is, is he just established a different timeline for them. For you, you had a day of birth and you will have a day when you will die. And God is righteous in, in, in assigning that to you, whatever that may be. None of us is promised tomorrow. And so we must live our life in a way so that we, we, we don't know if we're promised tomorrow. And so we need to be right with the Lord today. And so God was right in, in, in bringing that time to them. And so I ask you, what is your conception of yourself as, as a person? Do you undervalue your sin? Do you shrug off and be like, oh, I'm not so bad, I'm a pretty good person? Or do you recognize the weight and, and, and the severity of the sin that grieves God's heart? But on the other end, do you forget that it's possible to walk with God, to know Him, to experience His favor and blessing? We can... We can think too little of our sin, but we can also think too much of our sin. We can think, ah, oh, there's, there's, there's no new wine left in me, <laughs> right? I'm just a broken sinner, and I'm just going to continue to be that until the day I die, and I'm just hoping that God, by his grace, will take me in. No, that's what, what this passage shows us. That it's possible to pursue 
a relationship with the living God, to walk with him, to find his grace and his favor. And so we should work with all that we are to experience that, knowing that it's only made possible because of the grace that he's he's extended to us. And so we come to Jesus, right? You say, I don't see Jesus in this passage. (laughs) I didn't hear the name of Jesus mentioned, right? But, But Jesus is the one through whom our salvation comes. And God had a perfect plan of salvation in Jesus. And God had a perfect plan of salvation for Noah and his family in the ark. And so as we look at God's plan of salvation in the ark for Noah, we can see glimpses of who Jesus was in perfection. The imperfect salvation they received in the ark mirrors the perfect salvation that we receive in Jesus. Now, you might say, hey, that wasn't imperfect, right? Noah, Noah made it through the flood, but the problem was sin went with him in the ark, <laughs> and on the other side when they came out, sin was still there. Have any of you guys seen the Russell Crowe movie with Noah? Um, it, was, it was an incredible work of fiction. <laughs> For the most part, there's these crazy Lord of the Rings rock creatures. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was pretty, um, it was pretty out there, but one thing that I think they got really right is that Noah wrestled with the fact that he was a sinner. And he knew that in this new world that God was going to open up to them, that sin was just going to keep going forward with them. But in Jesus, we have the hope that when he brings us ultimate salvation, he will take us into a world where there's no more sickness, there's no more death, there's no more sin, there's no more rebellion, that we will spend eternity in a perfect relationship with our God. It's important to see in in, in chapter 6, verse 8, that Noah found favor. He found grace with God. And then it goes on to say that he was declared righteous. Before he was declared as a righteous man, he found grace with God. It was God's grace that made him righteous. And we see this echoed uh, in in Hebrews, uh, where Hebrews gives this description. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Just as we are saved by faith in Jesus, Noah was saved by faith in God. God said, there's going to come a flood, and I need you to build an ark. And Noah, in faith, built the ark. And his faith was counted to him as righteousness. We, in the same way, are saved by faith. God's plan of salvation was intentional and specific. Did you get all the details? The, uh, the ark was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. It was 45 feet high. On a very specific day, the rain came. Uh, the, all the details of it were mapped out in great specific detail. I'm sure there were people that had their own plans of salvation when the rain started to come, right? Hey, let's go up to the top of that high mountain. Let's build our own boats. None of those plans of self-salvation were sufficient. None of them worked. Only the perfect, precise plan of God for salvation could bring salvation. What we see there imperfectly in the ark, we see perfectly in Jesus. We can't design our own path and plan of salvation. We must follow the one prescribed to us by God in Scripture through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's through Jesus. It was precise. Jesus came at the exact right time. And we also see that um, the method of, of God's judgment was also the method of salvation, right? The water came, it judged the earth, it cleared it out, but it also lifted the ark up and saved Noah and his family. And in the same way, the cross of Jesus, the method of judgment against him, was also the means of our salvation. At the cross where Jesus died and was judged is also the place where our salvation was, was, was made certain, was made whole, was made perfect. 
Are you pursuing self-salvation? Or are you entering into the ark of salvation that we have in Jesus? God told them what to do, but they didn't have to build it. They didn't have to go. And we aren't really told anything about any of the wives. Noah's wives, the son's wives, we don't know anything about them. What we do know is this, that at the right time, they entered into the ark. <laughs> right? That's what we know. And that was sufficient to save them. The response is faith, obedience, and gratitude. And I wish I had more time to pull this apart, but I want you to see that, that Noah's faith, Noah could have said, God, I believe you. I believe the flood's coming. I believe an ark is the way to be saved from this flood. I believe it. <laughs> but if you didn't pick up a saw, <laughs> if you didn't pick up a hammer, <laughs> if you didn't start building the ark, he wouldn't have entered into salvation, right? In Ephesians 2, we love Ephesians chapter 2, and here at Riverside, we talk about it all the time, right? It says, by grace you have been saved, not of your own works, lest anyone should boast, right? So we're saved by grace. We don't earn our way into, into salvation. We're saved by grace, by God's grace, and we enter into it by faith. But we are saved to do good works. I want to ask you today, if you have faith in Jesus, what, what work is coming out of that, right? If you've been saved by Jesus, what has he saved you to do? And it was a costly obedience. It was hard work building that ark, gathering the animals, spending a year inside of it. Sometimes we think if we go along with God and put our faith in him and, and our obedience to him that it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Has it cost you something to follow Jesus? Is it costing you something? I had this discussion with our, with our teenage daughter this, this, this past week, and I said, hey, listen, I know the kids in your school, they're doing all kinds of things. They're doing this, they have this, they have that, whatever. You're just not measured by that scale, <laughs> right? You're measured by a scale that, that God has laid out for you of who he's called you to be. Noah could have looked at the world around him and said, man, I'm killing it compared to these guys. <laughs> these guys are just the worst, right? Like, I'm doing way better. But, but, but the scale that Noah was held to was the scale of obedience to God. Is your faith in Jesus leading you into obedience to what he has called you to do? And the final thing is the kingdom. After the flood, they walked out into a new earth, but as I already mentioned, sin came with them on the ark. And so even though the earth was reformed, sin continued forward. But our ultimate hope is in a kingdom that will not pass away, where Jesus will bring in salvation, where we will eternally walk with him, where we will know him personally, and sin will be no more. Death will no, be no more. Sickness, pain, suffering, they will all be wiped away. Is that where you're placing your hope today? I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we, as we conclude. Are you guys curious what Jesus thought about Noah? <laughs> I, I want to end by sharing his words from Matthew 24 of what he spoke about Noah. Here's what he says. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, nor the fa but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying is like, hey, in the day of Noah, they thought it was just life as normal. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were having parties. They didn't know that their judgment hour had arrived. He says, don't be caught up like that. As I said, none of us has promised tomorrow. We don't know that we have tomorrow. And if you're here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, the door of the ark is open, right? You may enter in. You've been invited. It's a free gift. But by faith, you enter in. By placing your faith in Jesus, you enter into salvation and you enter into a relationship with him. My prayer is that today would be the day for you. And if you know, if you have entered into that salvation, I want to encourage you that um, there's no rest inside the ark, right? <laughs> that he saved you for a purpose. Noah was saved for our benefit. If Noah wouldn't have been saved, the line of Jesus would have, would have been stopped, right? But because he was saved, the animals were saved. And ultimately, you and I had the opportunity to save. God saved you for a purpose, and it wasn't just for yourself. Seek him, pursue him, ask him what it is that he desires you to do, and be obedient in it. Let's pray.